The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. And Stuart Gumley is on the line now from the Darren Hinch Justice Party MP for Western Victoria. Stuart, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, good morning, Mitch. How you going? Good, thank you. It's a very interesting place to legislative council on these few occasions when you do have the very contentious legislation that comes before you and I suppose anything can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Anything can and usually does happen and, and we saw that um, last week with the return of Adam Somurek, um to the fold when we were talking about the pandemic legislation and um, the, uh, you know, the, the cat amongst the pigeons that that, that threw was, was quite quite interesting and um to be part of it all it's um yeah it it is quite um quite an interesting chamber that's for sure so what's the situation there now i believe the government's in negotiations have they been whining and dining you to try and get you on side with this legislation uh, i wish they were whining and dining but um they're not unfortunately but uh they look they did find my mobile number um when when mr summer returned and they gave me a call mm. uh, just to see um, where we were sitting and how we were we were thinking about the legislation, um, which is quite ironic, really, because if it wasn't for um, Mr. Summit returning to Parliament, then we probably wouldn't be in these discussions. So I suppose I've got to thank him in that regard. But uh, it just goes to show you that from the very beginning, um, the government chose to negotiate with three crossbenchers only, um, yeah, three out of the 12. So and that was um, uh, Medic, uh, Ratnam and, and Patton. So by shutting out the rest of the crossbench um, has really, you know, caused them to be in this position right now. So it's just, it was terrible um, politics, I suppose, from the very beginning. Um, the bill itself is a bad bill. Um, it's it's um, you know, 90 odd amendments have been put up. Um, 60 odd QCs has said it's a bad bill. The Ombudsman says it's a bad bill. Uh, the Law Institute of Victoria says it's a bad bill. It's just yeah, poorly drafted, um, and the lack of consultation was really, and I said it before, it really was a slap in the face for democracy and, and for the rest of us uh, crossbench who are supposed to be there representing the community. The Premier last week at his media conference, which I'm sure you would have seen, uh, he talked about the Legislative Council because he was being asked questions about it by the journalists, and he said, well, we always work with the crossbench, we always negotiate with MPs. Has that been your experience that the government's been in that constant communication, which is what I think the Premier was alluding to on Thursday? No. No, they, they don't always um, negotiate and work with the crossbench. They always negotiate with some of the crossbench, but not all of the crossbench, and that distinction needs to be made. Um, yeah, like I said, there are three that are part of their discussions have been since March, um, whereas the rest of the crossbench have been excluded from those conversations up until last week when, uh, when the government realised that they may lose the bill um, based on Mr. Somerick's vote. Did I see you in a media conference suggesting that you only found out about this legislation online via social media like the rest of us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was a couple of weeks ago. And, um, yeah, we were uh, uh, keeping tabs as we do on, on certain media sort of things. And I was actually engaged in a, in a meeting at the time with other non-government uh, members and uh, it came apparent that the bill was up um, and available and, and being debated. And that was the first time that, I, that I'd heard about it, um, that I'd seen the, you know, the, um, the, the breakdown of what was going to be in the bill was through the media. Um, the government didn't choose to give us the heads up 
whatsoever, um, which is just extremely disappointing and very unprofessional and, yeah, undemocratic, like I said. I heard an interview with Catherine Cumming, of course, one of the crossbenchers and used to be part of your party, but she said, I'm demanding a meeting with the Premier before I'll even entertain negotiations. That's what she was implying. Is that what Mm. you want? Do you want to sit down and talk to the Premier one-on-one about this? Because she's apparently been told the Premier is too busy and she hasn't spoken to the Premier for a couple of years. Yeah, look, it's it's one thing that we've never done. Like we've never demanded anything um, from the government, and and we're not, we're not going to demand anything from the government. Um, we put ourselves out there to be available for discussions and to talk with the government um, at any opportunity. Um, I suppose you, you can't make the government, you know, engage in those discussions. Um, they will do what they want to do at the end of the day. So I've always found that. Um, you know, you, you get more flies with honey, I suppose, and uh, to have that approach rather than, you know, being being so demanding upon them. Um, having said that, um, you know, we do have a good relationship with the Attorney-General and with um, uh, ministers within the chamber and uh, in the other place and in, and in the, the, uh, the council as well. So, yeah, we do engage in those conversations constructively when they do arise, but the problem is, is that uh, with this particular bill, those conversations didn't arise until last week. The government only needs one other crossbench MP to support them, so to move from the no column into the yes column in order to pass this legislation. There's been media reports of some crossbenchers buckling. I don't think your name has come up, but they've said, oh, Clifford Hayes could be turning. Oh, it might be Jeff Borman from the Shooters and Fishers. Have you had any sort of insider goss? Have you heard anything about MPs that might be for turning on this? From what I've heard, everyone's um, sticking pretty firm to, to their original decision, um, but that said, I can't speak on behalf of them and, and what discussions they're having with the government, um, but, you know, I'm pretty certain that uh, Mr Borman um, would, would more than likely you know, remain in the no column. Um, Mr Hayes, I'm not too sure about. Um, in previous previous voting, um, has indicated that, uh, you know, he, he could be could be uh, available to, you know, swing to the other side, I suppose, but um, it all depends on, on what the government, um, you know, what the government proposes to begin with and if that satisfies Mr Hayes's um, concerns with the bill. But I can tell you from the outset that I've told this to the Attorney-General that it's, um, you know, this bill needs to be scrapped and redrafted for us to have any any interest in it. Can you explain what your main concerns are with it? Because you've mentioned that a number of um, legal professionals have come out in opposition to it. You've mentioned that you want, or the crossbench wants different amendments passed. But in a nutshell, for the people listening, why are you against this bill? Because if you listen to some commentators and even MPs, if you're against this bill, you must be of the extreme far right. Yeah, well, that's certainly not me. Um, our main concerns are the excessive detention power, um, the limited extensions with no time limits, um, the fact that the Premier can call a pandemic at any time, even when there isn't a pandemic uh, in Victoria, um, the limited oversight, like I said, with current proposal, um, the current proposal is to have a, you know, an oversight committee which is government heavy. Um, what's the point of doing that? Um, and, and the fact that, you know, we're still waiting on things like air purifiers in schools. Um, and I made this point, like we've got air purifiers in Parliament, believe it or not, in the Chamber, which is a massive place. And yet we've got them there, but schools are still waiting to see air purifiers. So there's just, you know, things just aren't working with the current bill. We, and we're still in the midst of a pandemic as well. We are yet to review the current legislation. How do we know what's gone right, what's gone wrong? 
uh, with the current legislation when we're still in the, in the middle of it all. So I don't understand how they can draft new legislation without going through the old legislation, first of all, to find out what worked and what didn't. You know, have a proper proper inquiry into it and then work out um, the best way forward through new legislation. Catherine Cummings said, I think that she was opposed to excluding people who weren't vaccinated. So in other words, she's against this bill in principle. You could redraft it, but as long as it says people who aren't vaccinated are excluded from the vaccinated economy, she'll be against mm. it. Are you coming at it from a similar perspective or you just want to tidy some things up to have a few more checks and balances on uh, if another lockdown is called or if there's more restrictions yeah. put in? Yeah, you've got to tidy things up to ensure that everybody... Um, you know, is in for the opportunity to, to work and also engage in the community in a safe manner. Um, there are people out there that can't be vaccinated for various medical reasons. So how do they go about, um, you know, gaining employment or, you know, engaging in meaningful activities within the community? It's, it's something that really needs to be considered um, because you've got to balance it up between the safety of, you know, everybody, the community, especially uh, the, the vulnerable aged and children in our community, but we've also got to weigh it up in the fact that, you know, there are people out there that have the right to work and have the right to, uh, you know, to go about their usual business um, if they are unvaccinated. How do you work around that? So I just don't think that, um, you know, we've given that due, due process, I suppose, at this stage. And um, there are many disadvantages um, that are occurring. I've, I've been reading about the, the children even lately that, you know, those that um, can get the vaccine now, they've been banned from like uh, sporting stadiums and, and so forth and graduations even um, because they're not vaccinated and yet the vaccination mandate was only brought in last week. So there's been no grace period, I suppose, to allow, you know, kids, especially 12 to 16, to continue engaging in, the, in their pursuits um, whilst whilst waiting for vaccinations, so there's yeah, there's just so many things wrong wrong with the current situation, Mitch. And I don't have the answers. I don't propose to have the answers, but um, I just think that uh, pushing legislation through at this stage is the wrong thing to do. What's been the engagement like with your office? Because there's been a lot of talk about the conduct of some of the protesters, which has been absolutely disgraceful, and I yeah. condemn it once again. Has there been more interest in people coming to your office, talking to your staff about this legislation than other legislation, or have you found it's exactly the same as any other bill? If one thing, this bill has really made people for, you know, for good or bad, engage in the political system. Um, I think a lot more people are aware of how politics and how bills and legislation works now, which is probably a good thing to, to know that, that process. But we haven't had um, the the issues, the threats, the violence that other officers have had. And, and we also, you know, will call that out and have, have called it out before and will continue to call it out that, you know, don't, don't bring ropes and gallows to protests. You know, bring, bring your placards. Bring your chance, you know. You, everybody has the right to protest, protest, that's fine. But leave the violence at home and the threats at home and, you know, nobody wants that in, in any walk of life despite political differences. You just don't see that happening. But we, um, yeah, we, we haven't had any of that negative behaviour directed towards us, but we have had an incredible amount, um, talking thousands upon thousands of emails, We've had uh, hundreds of phone calls. We've had visits to the electorate office that we otherwise would not have had um, without this bill. So, yes, it is really triggering a lot of people at the moment to engage in, the, in, in politics. Do we need more security for MPs and their families in the wake of some of the things and allegations that we've seen? 
I think so, and I think it should be made available to those MPs and officers that put their hand up um, and that may be in a position to, you know, be in a, a vulnerable position. Um, personally, um, like I said, without having those threats or, or anything directed towards us, I probably wouldn't myself. Um, but there are certainly other MPs and other officers I think that would benefit greatly from it. Have you had late nights in the Legislative Council going through this legislation line by line, which you know has happened with other contentious bills, or is that still to come? Is that something you're expecting ahead? Well, we were expecting it last week, but um, the government uh, adjourned the bill off, adjourned debate off. We were entirely expecting to have it that late night, and um, which is interesting in itself because... You know, on the Tuesday, they, they deemed it to be an urgent bill that had to be debated and, and put through and passed. And then, of course, um, what happened was that Adam Sonry popped his head up and all of a sudden this urgent bill is not so urgent um, and they need to have time to, you know, consult on, on the bill. So, you know, there's another sort of smoke screen that's hanging around. Um, so, yeah, I'd imagine next sitting week will be the late one. Um, what do you make of the Premier's comments? Just you mentioned the urgency there on Thursday. He said, oh, you know, we need to pass this because if we don't pass it, we won't be able to, for example, exclude people from other countries coming here who aren't vaccinated or stop people who we don't want going into aged care facilities. So he's saying it's urgent. And I suppose by implication, he's sort of blaming you guys, the crossbench, for holding it up. Well, the state of emergency ends mid-December. So there is a fair bit of time um, to go before that ends. And I suppose if this bill doesn't pass, then they'll just have to bring the state of emergency back before Parliament to have it extended like they've done previously. So, yeah, the world's not going to fall in. Um, there are there are ways around it. Um, but, yeah, in terms of this particular bill passing, we hope it doesn't. Now, this is the last time that we're talking for this year, and it's already been a bit of a, a marathon session, but it's just been such a contentious bit of legislation that's generated so much interest. Yeah. I thought it was important we focus on it. But when we look yeah. back at 2022, I suppose what have been some of the highlights for you? Clearly, it will be a year remembered for COVID, for lockdowns, for perhaps a year where we hoped it was going to be better, but it wasn't. But I know there's been a few other things that have come before your party um, that you've uh, focused on throughout this year. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a big year for us um, in terms of you know, mental health um, in particular, given COVID and, and so forth and advocating for mental health. And we've always uh, pursued avenues of you know, how to improve, especially for emergency responders, You know how to improve their situation, those that are going through PTSD. And uh, we were pleased with Yogi's Law, which I think we spoke about um, before with, with Ron Fenton, the late Ron Fenton, um, police officer who was shot in the head. And had, uh, you know, terrible experiences with PTSD and many, many hospital visits. Um, he was on many, many drugs to try to assist his um, condition. And it wasn't until he came across um, Yogi, which was a beautiful chocolate Labrador um, that was trained specifically in helping sufferers of, of PTSD uh, with signs and symptoms that he actually reduced his hospital visits and reduced his medications. And like Ron said, he was a lifesaver, an absolute lifesaver. So we were pleased to work with the government um, in ensuring that uh, through WorkSafe that the costs are covered. So if you've got an assistance dog you know, that's helping you through these times, um, that's been accredited and approved and ticked off, then you shouldn't have to be out of pocket to pay for you know, vet bills, food, etc. Um, for that for that um, particular dog because it's your medication. You know, If you get covered for your, your tablets and your hospital visits and your appointments, then you should get covered for your dog. And 
we were so pleased that that, um, that motion passed the House and, yeah, we're working on the government to improve that further because it's bad enough having PTSD, let alone having to go through all the, the hoops and hurdles and trying to, you know, get your condition not only um, recognised um, but also compensated in some way. So that was a really good one. Well, um, the, yes. Yeah, the grab and drag one was also pretty massive for us. The uh, When... Uh, M. Jones bought a or changed it all uh, petition before before us uh, over a hundred thousand signatures, and you may remember the Jackson William case where he grabbed and dragged a nurse when she was um, coming back from work down a laneway, and that, uh, he was he was charged with unlawful assault out of all of that and nothing else, um, despite the fact that um, in our eyes it was pretty clear what he wanted to do. So yeah, we're grateful that uh, the VLRC has taken on our recommendation that they look into a specific offence of grabbing and dragging a person um, rather than just unlawful assault because we just think it's it's not an unlawful assault. An unlawful assault is just something that's very minor. It could be a slap in the face. It could be pushing someone in the chest. Whereas, you know, if you're grabbing someone and dragging them into another place, then that's clearly um, a bit different to, to just a slap in the face. So that uh, will be handed down uh, hopefully in mid-December determine whether or not we're going to have a separate grab-and-drag offence. So we've had a couple of nice, you know, wins along the way, I suppose, and yeah, we'll, we'll keep fighting for justice and fighting for victims of crime. Well, thank you very much for being on the program this year and thanks for being very giving of your time and looking forward to talking to you throughout 2022 into the lead-up of uh, the election and November the 26th next year. Absolutely, mate. And, uh, you know, take care. All the best to you and all your listeners. And uh, stay safe and just be kind to everyone. Thank you very much. Stuart Grimley with us there from the Darren Hinch Justice Party MP for Western Victoria. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.